0: An organization that is both supporting uh, their employees in in their ability to self-organize and self-lead, but also creates a learning environment, a transformative learning environment to develop these Mm. capacities. So uh, you would see the development of these capacities not as something that you are doing at a in a different environment, mm. in a retreat or, or somewhere outside work. No, that is actually fire. part of your work yes, to be on this developmental journey. And using the same language there, the language of a deliberately developmental organization, I would even go so far to say that we in Scandinavia, a uh, hundred years ago, we had actually a, an explicit plan mm. to create a deliberately developmental society. And then we lost that uh, a, a little bit. So I think that that's what we need to, to try to f- come back to and find again, perhaps with new tools, but we do not only need deliberately developmental organizations. We also need to realize that we need to develop a deliberately developmental society that supports everyone in this lifelong developmental journey.
1: Welcome to the Learnability podcast, where it's our mission to explore the future of work and lifelong learning to accelerate professional and personal development. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the CEO of an edtech startup called Align. We've built a platform to help you validate your informal learning and achieve your objectives and learning needs in a community of peers and mentors on a similar journey. You can download and try out the app at alignbetter.com. That's align spelled A L I N E, better.com. Welcome to Mas. Welcome to Mas Björkman to the Learnability Podcast and as well uh, live recording on Alliance Instagram. Thank you. It's uh... great to be here. So I'm thinking we can start with, there's several titles you could own. So rather than uh, giving you a title of a philosopher or a social entrepreneur, maybe we can jump right into understanding your journey and uh, how you've come to be in this position.
0: Yeah, Thank you for giving me your, the opportunity to to talk about that. So uh, yes, today uh, I would say that I'm a social entrepreneur and and, and an author. I've written uh, three books coming out from the banking industry. I wrote a book uh, called The Market Myth Yes about the strength and the weakness and uh, of the market and how the market has come to dominate our world today for, for good and and for bad. Uh, then together with my friend and colleague, Leon Anderson, uh, a book called the Nordic secret. Uh, and then my latest book is uh, the world we create, which is really a, a, um, a big odyssey of, over the evolution of society and, and humanity and uh, trying to understand the difficult situation that we are in right now and what we could possibly uh, do to come out on the other side uh, in, in, a, in a
1: good way. And we will dig a little deeper into the subjects from the book yeah. and also the Nordic secret as well.
0: Yeah. So, um, my background is actually, and my academic background is actually in, in physics and mathematics. And, um, I spent a huge part of my, my years in my, my twenties, trying really to understand the world from a natural science perspective. And I really loved that perspective, but of course I've come to see the limitations in that perspective quite a lot when it comes to understand the the human world and the market and and the situation that we are in right now but anyhow I, i i did not pursue a career in in mathematics and physics but i instead i became around the age of 30 or even a bit before an entrepreneur and i started a lot of different initiatives some small and unsuccessful but at least three major uh, journeys in media, uh, in um, IT, in property, and in banking. So I started a banking business in Scandinavia in the beginning of the 90s. And uh, then after a few years, I started a similar business in in Geneva. And then in uh, 2001, I sold my banking business both the Scandinavian business and the Swiss business to the fourth largest banking group in Switzerland. And I had to commit to stay on as chairman of the banking group in Scandinavia for five years and be on the board of the Swiss bank for five years. But when that contract ended in 2006, I was very happy to leave both the banking world uh, and the financial world, but also the business world. So I had then the opportunity to start my own foundation in Stockholm called uh, Eksjæret. What in English would be the, the, the island where the oak trees grow. So you could say the Oak Island Foundation. Uh, And and you
1: actually have an island. We actually have an island called
0: called the Oak Island, Ekferet, which is uh, uh, two hours outside Stockholm, where we um, have developed uh, what you can call a retreat center, where we have in the summer youth camps. And during the rest of the year, we have development programs for adults and invitational conferences and and other things in this um, intersection between uh, personal inner development and societal change. Uh, And the reason why I came to think that this is a very interesting uh, uh, area of uh, investigation um, was because during my many years in business, I came to work with very talented uh, leadership development consultants who showed me how important this lifelong inner maturation journey that we are all on uh, is when it comes to recruiting uh, good uh, uh, management people. Uh, And also that this inner maturation journey or vertical development journey, as we might come back to and distinguish that from horizontal development and and learning, how how that maturation process can actually be facilitated. And I participated myself together with uh, uh, the management of of my organization in a few uh, programs. And uh, I was astonished to see the effect uh, both on myself and on at least some of my uh, colleagues. Oh, yes. And then I came to think that, well, if we in business or at least part of business understands the importance of this inner development, how come that we are not at all in society talking about this? And also uh, some other uh, organizational consultants, they really showed us the importance of corporate culture. And that you might even say that in at least in a larger organization, one of the most important tasks for top management, if not the most important task, is to make sure that you get a corporate culture that is good. Mm-hmm. And if you don't succeed in that, then it doesn't matter what sort of reorganizations or manuals you send out into the organization. One very famous uh, business consultant, Peter, Peter Drucker, he uh, famously expressed it like culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes,
1: I love that quote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Culture eats strategy for, for breakfast. But then, uh, of course, with, with that wakening up and starting to see the world from other perspectives than just natural mm-hmm. science, but starting to understand the importance of psychology and sociology, even anthropology, mm. uh, I came to the same question. Uh, so if we in the business world, Actually understands the importance of corporate culture. Why are we not at all in society in the same way looking at societal culture and understands the importance of, importance of societal culture? Uh, and then, of course, I'm not that uh, naive that I think that we could manage a societal culture, perhaps in the same way as a corporate culture. And definitely not that we should try to st- strive for a monoculture. Today, the world is so complex that you need many perspectives to understand the world. So we, we need uh, a multicultural society, but a good multicultural society will will not just come out of throwing a lot of cultures together uh, in, in a bucket and see what comes out. No, just like we in the business world know how important it is when we're talking about corporate mergers and things to manage cultural processes Managing the cultural process in a multicultural society is a difficult task and we need to focus on that and understand that and have a self-conscious relationship to our multicultural society and, and that I'm also completely lacking. So that that is why I wanted to sort of both write about, but also start the foundation around this connection between inner development, culture, cultural development and societal change.
1: It's amazing work that you're doing from this foundation. A lot of additional initiatives have sprung out and we will speak about some of them. But I'm thinking this is a great opportunity to go a little bit deeper on this macro perspective. So uh, maybe with a vantage point from your most recent book. And the, the title or the theme of emergence, mm, yes. what can we learn about this? We're speaking about a cultural shift right now. Mm, what mm. can we learn about our current cultural shift?
0: Mm, yes, yes. And uh, of course, the, the subtitle of, of this pod is The Future of Work. And that is, of course, a very, very interesting question. And to just speak about the future of work, you need to have some sort of idea of where the world is going. And and for sure, one thing we can say, with hundred percent certainty, that that is that the technological evolution of our world is just increasing and speeding up. So uh, s- sometimes when I speak, I ask the audience to to reflect a few minutes on how many different, completely different technological worlds um, the listener has been living in, been living through so far in their lives. Because they sort of fade together just on a daily basis. Yeah, but you but you can sort of, if you think back in, in your life, and even if you're not that old, you can certainly discern some watershed moments where technological change really made our world really different and that you can really speak about that you're living in a different world mm-hmm. in the way that the technological development both changed the way that you run business. Yes. So you have to reinvent business because the technology technology has shifted, but you might even need to, or want to reinvent your private life, your family life. Uh, and of course, one such watershed the moment, just to take an example, was of course the introduction of the smartphone. So, I'm, so I mean, with the smartphone, both you run your private life, your friends, your family, able to speak to your children wherever they 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 they, they are but also from from a business perspective if you mm. didn't rearrange your your business to account for the opportunities that were opening business opportunities mm. that were opening up and also the way of organizing your your organization then you, then you would have been left behind and others and other such watershed moments c- c- could have been for example the uh, if you go back to the beginning of the last century, introduction of radio, introduction of television, the introduction of, of personal computers, uh, the dumb mobile phone, the smartphone. And these watershed events are coming quicker and quicker, so faster and faster. So if we just look back during the last, uh, or during our lives, I, I would say that we have had these watershed events every, say, 10 years. Or now it might even be five years. Now we are looking at uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, web three and those things coming, coming on. So now it might even be every fifth year. And soon, it will be every second year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it will be every year. <laughs> and then we reach this point where well, that some uh, future uh, risks are talking about as the singularity. Yes. When, when we are on an infinitely rapid technological development. But we don't need to go that fast. But just realizing that today, perhaps, we need to completely readjust uh, our private lives and business every 10 or even five years. That, of course... Then have big implications on the future of work and how we can prepare for work as in such rapid development. Just one example there. Yes, yes. Please go ahead. I'll I'll take an example there. So today, a lot of a lot of people say that okay, we we have to teach everyone to program. Uh, But when you speak to the tech uh, companies in Silicon Valley they tell me, yeah, of course, we are employing a lot of programmers this year and even more next year. But in five years, we expect artificial intelligence to do the programming because programming is a very simple algorithmic process, really, and really simple for an artificial intelligence to do. So, back, so then in five or 10 years, we won't need any programmers. We might need some system thinkers, but instead of a hundred programmers, we need two uh, systems uh, designers In instead. And when the world is moving so fast, it's becoming, of course, very difficult to know how I myself should prepare for that future of work or what advice I should give to my children, how to prepare. And that's where we're then coming back to this Uh, personal development and and maturity and vertical development uh, uh, aspect that I was mentioning earlier. So I think that learning new skills and facts, what traditionally has been called horizontal uh, learning or horizontal development, that will still be relevant in some aspects because you still need to understand history and where we are in Spain. You need to be able to do mathematics and reading and and all of those things. But to have all of your education and and specifically secondary and tertiary education, gymna- gymnasium, gymnasium, or university, uh, focusing just on horizontal learning, that that will not do. It's not sufficient. No, that's not sufficient. The horizontal learning in the future, you will very much have to do on your work on, on the fly, learning the latest, uh, tools and techniques. And then of course, this more, uh, inner maturity aspect, your, your ability to, for example, think in systems terms, your ability to take more, perspectives, your ability to extend and deepen your understanding of different people, different cultures, your capacity for empathy Mm. and things like that. Those aspects, again, that's some uh, thinkers call vertical development. They become much, much more uh, important and you will always have a need for Empathy, understanding, complexity, thinking, perspective, taking and all of that, whatever the world will look like in 10 or or, or 20 years.
1: I really like this differentiation between the horizontal learning and vertical learning. And you and I were actually on a panel together. I think it's about a year ago with Heja Framtiden uh, during uh, the Internet days here in Stockholm. And this is where I heard about this and I took it with me. I communicated with the team uh, about it and I want to, I've found a way of trying to describe this and I want to run it by you. So the horizontal learning, I describe it more as taking steps forward. So you're learning a new competency or skill, just taking steps forward. While the uh, vertical learning has more of a depth. into it or you could even describe it as reaching higher levels within yourself yeah Uh, how do you like this
0: description i I love that That, that, that's a very good description and uh, um, a similar way of saying it is that you could say that the horizontal learning is is about filling your your mind with uh, more content Which is of course important to do, Mm -hmm. but the vertical development is developing your mind Mm -hmm. and your mind's ability to process that content and the world at large and be able to make sense of the world and understand the world in more and more complex way and become less overwhelmed with rapid uh, change and the need to learn new content. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. So, so, great and and the the good news was, or let's start with the bad news. <laughs> no, the good news first. <laughs> the, good, the, the good news is that all these sort of capabilities and and skills, vertical skills that that I'm mentioned and many many more. Let's take for example the capacity uh, uh, for empathy. Mm. Um, science clearly show that all these different skills, including empathy. Uh, You can develop. Yes. We are not born with a certain amount of of empathy, for example, or perspective taking or complexity thinking. That's the good news. We can definitely develop these things. The bad news is that you cannot teach these skills and capacities in a normal uh, school setting. Classroom environment. No, Classroom environment. So if you, for example, have uh, a co-worker... Mm that you that you think could benefit from becoming more empathetic
1: is that the english word empathic empathetic empathic, empathic we're yeah. both uh, <laughs> <laughs> swedish native speakers yes exactly. somebody correct us <laughs> yes, yes.
0: compassionate we could yes. say there we go. T- to become more compassionate and um, we can't just send that person to a three-day oh, no. compassion <laughs> t- training course and then they come back with a diploma <laughs> no uh, so to develop these uh, these capacities and skills, um, you, you you need to uh, access deeper uh, psychological processes, and and you need a different kind of long term immersive learning. And some people talk about transformative learning in 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 that respect, and that is a bit what we are experimenting with uh, at the Oak, Oak Island, both at our youth camps and adult retreats and using nature and uh, group processes to facilitate the development of of, uh, vertical uh, learning and
1: growth. And this is a great opportunity for us to jump into the Nordic secret, Mm, because I feel like there's a lot of insights gained there that can be applied today. So tell us about the Nordic secret. It was your second book in, in order?
0: Yes, uh, my, my, my second book. And I uh, should say that my co-colleague uh, and um, friend, Le- Lena Anderson, yes. uh, did, did most of the heavy lifting when it comes to writing this book. Um, so the, the interesting thing was that five or six years ago, in doing the research for this book, uh, I came to realize that what I was trying to do in the, the uh Foundation was really to reinvent the wheel. Because we had in Scandinavia, a, uh, we had in Scandinavia 100 years or 150 years ago, a deep understanding for the, the connection between interpersonal growth and societal change. And back then, we were also in a situation of rapid societal change. Uh, Everyone could see industrialization coming. And back then, uh, all the Nordic countries were amongst the poorest uh, non-democratic countries in uh, in Europe. But we had some very uh, visionary political and intellectual leaders in all the Nordic countries who knew that in times of rapid societal change, Mm. industrialization, urbanization, and all of that, that happened back then. It's just so easy for us individuals to be overwhelmed. Yes. And when we become overwhelmed, it's so easy for us to want to have an external authority Mm. to rely on. And that might be an, a uh, dogmatic religion mm. or an authoritarian leader. And today that might be an Erdogan or a Trump, someone to hold on to when you can't sort of make sense of the world yourself.
1: Tells you what's right. Yeah, and exactly. Rocky. Yeah. The comfort. The comfort, yeah. False comfort
0: yes. in a complex world. Yes. H- having simple answers to complex challenges but simple answers that that are unfortunately wrong.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that today we we uh, people tend to find that comfort as well in let's call it conspiracy theories? Yes, as absolutely. Well, yeah? I mean, if if you,
0: we, 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 our human mind is is so dependent on trying to understand the world, yes. and if the truth is too complex and and you can't get it. Mm. It's very difficult to sit with the uncertainty. Yes. And that's something that is that is a vertical skill mm? yes. to be to be able to sit with uncertainty. Mm. But but if you can't sit with uncertainty, then you invent yeah. explanations. You default to the yeah. simple answer. It's a simple and you, and you find scapegoats. Yeah. And it's very it's more demanding on on our sense making to to see structural forces and non-human uh, forces uh, driving our societal evolution. It's much, much more simple to try to find a scapegoat and, and say that it's their fault. Yes, And of course we are doing that today. And we have been doing that all through our, our history, we're, we're trying to find scapegoats. But- today in, in America, it's the Mexicans. Mm-hmm. So we build a wall. In 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 Germany in the 30s, it was uh, the Jews. Yes. And we always tried to find someone to, to blame. In Sweden today, it might be the immigrants. Mm. And this, again, going back 100 years uh, in time or 150 years ago, th- these tendencies, we had very visionary politicians and intellectuals who saw this. Mm. Uh, and what they w- realized was that if we are going to move from being the, the poorest non-democratic agrarian societies in Europe and try to, to build modern societies, this is not something that can be implemented for, top down. Exactly. This is a process where we have to in, in, involve a large portion of the population. But then we need to empower the population to be able to hold this complexity, to sit with the uncertainty, to connect with their inner compass to, to be able to find sort of this locus of control inside themselves rather than relying on an external authority. Mm-hmm. They will have to find their internal authority. And that's a very important step in this, again, vertical development, the, the lifelong maturation journey that, that we are all on. And the way that they did this was quite extraordinary, because what they did—and I say this a bit jokingly, but it's very much um, a good metaphor—they created retreat centers in all the Nordic countries.
1: This is fascinating.
0: Yeah, they they, retrain, they created small uh, centers, often out in nature, yes, and um, where where young people in their twenties. And back then you had probably been working five years at least or something like that, um, where you later on could spend up to six months with full state funding with the expressed aim of finding your inner compass, develop your inner skills and capacities in order for you to be able to be active co-creators of modernity that was then just being, being born. Uh, and the amazing thing was that, uh, in the year 1900, there were a hundred centers of this just in Denmark, 75 in Norway and 150 in Sweden.
1: This is a proper initiative.
0: Yeah. And so so when this initiative was at its height, almost exactly a hundred years ago, then actually 10% of each young generation had the opportunity to spend six months in retreat, out in nature, in small groups to focus on what we today would call uh, vertical development. And of course, this created what we today would call a a tipping point. Mm, Yes. A tipping point. 10%. Uh, is definitely enough for a tipping point, especially since these 10% did not come from a specific group in society. This was not just an elite project, rather the opposite. The the vast majority of the participants in these uh, programs came from farming or working class um, background.
1: And I can imagine, so they reach these 10% directly, but I'm also imagining a second order effect where if you think about generations on or being able to inspire uh, their, their peers, mm. that it has a second order effect as well. So a high impact initiative.
0: Absolutely. And, and because uh, the participants came from all, all walks of, of life, you would then uh, later on, even in the fac- on the factory floor, mm. in, in the workshop, mm you would probably have one or two on the factory floor who have participated in these programs. Oh, yeah. So when someone would say, oh, there are all these problems, it's because of the immigrants or it's the juice uh, that's causing all of that, then you would have one or two persons stand, standing up saying no. Hold up. Oh, yeah, this is too simplistic. Yes. You know, you, yes. you, you need to see this uh, deeper. And because of their experience and, and, and their m- maturity, these people were usually respected. And of course, that created huge... Secondary effects on on society and and Lena and I we argue in in the book the Nordic secret that we can still today even if these programs in their original forms that they uh, perhaps ended uh, fifty years ago or something we still see the effects these centers still exist and they are called folk high schools folkhögskolor. Yes.
1: Yeah, I've done some research into this. I find this uh, an interesting opportunity for us. So you still have the the concept, sort of, but yep. it's taken a different form. A, a,
0: a, li- a little bit. I think most most people today would would see the uh, the, folk school the folk high schools as an opportunity for for you to uh, uh, do more horizontal learning. You mm-hmm. can learn yeah. new skills. You can learn languages. Uh, you could catch up with school educations if if, if you if you didn't graduate at, at school you you could go back and and uh, and graduate uh, but the very very strong focus uh, initially on this um, vertical development and uh, the specific connection between the need to develop these skills and capacities in order to uh, effectively be able to participate in the societal transformation Mm. that was happening back then that has been a little bit lost perhaps because we haven't been in such a deep societal transition
1: again we've been in between yeah
0: yeah. we've been in between we've been living in modernity and we have had a fairly stable societies in the from the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s Mm. it's now that that we are feeling that we are perhaps not only going into a future with a more more and more rapid technological development and change it might actually be that we are uh, reaching a, a transition again mm. a deep societal transition perhaps as deep uh, as when we um, many many years ago went from the the, the medieval religious dogmatic society and through the Enlightenment, went into a, a more scientific, rationalistic, democratic, modern way of organizing so- society.
1: Oh yes, into industrialization as well.
0: Yeah, and, and the nation state, and the industry, and and national democracy. Oh yes. Uh, now we are on on uh, on the threshold, perhaps, to a uh, uh, for the need to develop a a global post-industrial society. Mm. And you mentioned earlier the concept of emergence. Yes. So when we have these complex systems, so society is a complex system. So when you go through these very deep uh, reorganizations, uh, they often show emergence, meaning that you cannot, it's not just difficult, but you cannot determine or foresee what the new state of the system will be. Uh, But you can facilitate Mm. the, the transition. And it's also important to say that when a system reaches one of these sort of points that you might call a bifurcation point, then it is not any longer possible for the system to just do incremental adaptations. You come to a point where the system either has to reorganize substantially uh, and have a breakthrough mm. and organize in a in a new way, a more complex way, but perhaps also more elegant way. Or if you can't have a breakthrough of the system, you will see a breakdown on the system. Oh yes. And I think that we are in, in, in our civilization today, in our global civilization today, rapidly approaching such a uh,
1: breakthrough or break down moment. And it feels like we would be hoping for or working towards the breakthrough. Because yes. The breakdown could have more suffering involved. In
0: Absolutely. and I mean, the breakdown could be any, anything from just the breakdown of, of the world, world order and the uh, state uh, war between nation states and, um, and a lot of suffering to the, the breakdown of civilization. We we might not be able to any longer cooperate globally to be able to build smartphones and computers any longer. So mm-hmm. we might lose that ability to the next step that we would have an, uh, also an environmental collapse. And that might be the end of of, of humanity. Mm. So it, it's important to remember that civilizations throughout human history have always, all civilizations have come to one of the, come to these points where they, we either have to reinvent ourselves or we have a breakdown. But fortunately so far in history, even when large civilizations have broken down, like the breakdown of the Roman empire, that was still just part of the world collapsing and at, and the ecosystem was perhaps collapsing locally, but was not a global ecosystem collapse. Nowadays, if we have a a breakdown of our civilization, that will be a global breakdown. And if we have a breakdown of the ecosystem, that might also be a global uh, breakdown. Oh, yes. So, So that's the bad news. The good news, of course, is that even if we can't plan and manage these emergent transitions in detail, we can facilitate Mm. them. And as with any uh, complex system in in transition, the best way to do that is to increase the ability for the components of the system to be able to relate to each other in deeper and more complex ways. And that is exactly what we were doing in Mm. Scandinavia, 150 years ago by helping as many people as possible to be able to relate to themselves, Mm. to each other, to society and to nature in deeper and more complex way, developing these skills. So I think that that is exactly what we need to do again. We need all of us to develop these skills to handle the uh, complexity of this situation. And that's why we, have taken the initiative of developing the inner development goals. Yes, I was just about to bring that up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's it's a good transition to the inner development goals.
1: I've always liked the goal of what if we aim to 10x the amount of people making an impact so instead of focusing, of course, focusing on the specific impact in and of itself, but in the, the realm of learning and education, setting a goal of 10xing the amount of people that are able to contribute. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to lead on with the question how do we support people in navigating this complexity? And that's a perfect opportunity to lift the initiative with the development goals.
0: Yes. So, so um, this inner lifelong developmental journey, the the vertical development, that can of course be broken down into a number of different capacities, mm-hmm. and, and you can talk about their uh, the relationship to to your to yourself. You can talk about your capacity to relate, your capacity to to take part in organizations and the, and in societies and. Your capacity, uh, your capacity for action to actually contribute actively to this uh, process, and then then you might need inner capacities like courage, and yes. and perseverance, yes. not giving up, and and things like that. So we were uh, a couple of years ago uh, a number of organizations, mainly in 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 Sweden initially, uh, and I can and I can mention our academic partners like the Stockholm School of Economics, Handelsskolan the Karolinska Institute, uh, the S- Center for Sustainability at Lunds University, uh, et cetera, that asked ourselves the question, so what are really these inner skills and capacities that we need in a situation like this? And, and what scientific support is there mm. that we can actually um, grow in these capacities? And what possibilities, tools, and techniques uh, are available for support, for supporting that inner development. Uh, And uh, we named this initiative the Inner Development Goals and specifically asked ourselves, what are the inner skills and capacities that we need to, to tackle the sustainable development goals? Why is it that we are not making more progress on the sustainable development goals, yes, and of course, one reason—not the only reason, but the one important reason—that has that has not been tackled uh, efficiently so far is, of course, that most of us, including myself, find these challenges that humanity is facing and that that is expressed in the sustainable development goals, as so daunting mm. and existential that it is difficult just to engage with them and it's so easy just to develop psychological defenses like just denial we deny the, the, the need to do anything the denial of the existence of the problems or or if we we acknowledge the problems we might then use other psychological defenses like uh rationalization saying that well the the problem is there but it's too late to act or I, my effort doesn't matter anyhow or, or whatever so These outer problems, the sustainable development goals, are also inner problems and challenges. And uh, we believe that one important way to accelerate uh, our abilities to reach the sustainable development goals is to also focus on the inner development goals. So we identified uh, 23 skills and capacities and we divided them into uh, five different, uh, categories. Really and f- clear and good yeah. categories. Yeah. And for those who are interested, uh, to, to dive deeper into this, you can look at, uh, inner Yes. Where we find, uh, a good description of, of this project. And the interesting thing was that, uh, we got quite a, a surprising initial traction with large corporations. Yes. Yes. So the the project is today uh, supported and to a large extent financed by our corporate partners like Ikea, Spotify, Telia, Er Ericsson, uh, who have all been struggling uh, during the last um, decade with um, uh, helping their employees to develop uh, similar skills Mm -hmm. Uh, in order to be able to function well in this rapidly changing world. And when I mentioned before that I in my banking um, business, well, we're looking at this for the top management, perhaps 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, many organizations realize that this is not just something for top management, this is something that we need to help everyone in the organization yes. uh, with because today the business is the business environment is moving so fast that if you are a tech company in in Stockholm and you should be competing with the tech companies in silicon valley or in china then uh, you can't rely just on accumulating all the strategic information up to the management board and then the management board taking strategic decisions and developing one year plans and then sending this down in the organization. No, you need to be much, much more agile and self-organized and having self-organizing teams. But then of course, those who participate in these teams, they need to have the inner capacities to Yeah. Hold the complexity and not to, and be comfortable with not having a boss telling them exactly what to do and how they are measured and so on. And many of these companies have found that when you go, when you delegate responsibility and you try to have a a more self-organizing organization, self-leading organization, uh, say 50% of, of your employees might love this they find that they become empowered and they can really thrive in this environment. Mm. But then you have the other half where they can become very confused and very stressed out Mm. and being very uncomfortable with this. And that in many cases leads to burnout. So then the, the question is, how can we in organizations support everyone not just top management to be able to develop these capacities to function in in a more volatile and and uncertain world so we were very surprised by the uh, acceptance and the pickup and the support from the corporate world also the academic world and now just recently we actually had our first uh, nation costa rica okay uh, signing up on on the inner development goals and Making this um, official policy in Costa Rica to support the inner development in in this way, and uh, that's, this very, very yeah, wow, this that's very very promising. Yeah, this is very this is very
1: promising. Yes, I, I I hope Rwanda can follow suit. Yes. Jump on that. Yes, that would be <laughs> wonderful. wonderful.
0: That would be wonderful.
1: And also, when I look at the so starting with when I look at the sustainable development goals, uh, it's an amazing overview we have created with all our problems and initiatives to solve them. But as well, tied to what we've been speaking about here mm. related to education, yes, I see that we still have the same conventional schooling type of approach to it. Yeah. And we're not including what you're speaking no, about here. No, so no. this is a great add-on, I believe, because this is needed yes. to drive.
0: Uh, no, the, no, absolutely. So, so it's also important to, to, to see that we might need to focus on the inner development even before mm. we, we, we have the capacity to uh, attack the complexity of, of the uh, SDGs.
1: Yes. And we're seeing what you're saying about organization, the interest or rather the understanding of the need for this. We're seeing this as well. We also believe firmly in this uh, when building a line. The way we frame it is we call it professional development for the uh, horizontal learning and yeah. personal development yeah. for the vertical. So combining the two to create um, uh, self-efficient, self-sufficient um, rather, uh, individuals within the organization contributing to the whole.
0: Yes, um, absolutely. That, that That's that's a very good way of um, um, describing it. And I think that the... Uh, IDGs, the inner development goals and that matrix could help in making this personal development more concrete. Yes. Personal development can sound a bit uh, fluffy and sound a bit new age, uh, but with this scientific framework, you can really see which uh, psychological capacities that we are talking about and you can even measure this and you can measure the progress and you can show that interventions and support for developing these capacities are, are actually uh, working.
1: Yes. And I'll get back to you after this conversation, because we're looking to use that as a taxonomy in, in mapping up different skills and competencies. So we can speak about that later. But on this topic, now we're speaking about technology's role in learning and this development. Uh, I know you have an initiative, 29K. Could mm. you share a little bit about that initiative, but also technology's role in this development? Yeah. Uh,
0: yes, of course. So um, uh, I, I I still think that this vertical development, this maturation and and uh, increasing capacities of these things, this tr- transformational learning that we mm. were talking about, uh, that absolutely the absolutely best environment to do that is in, in personal meetings in, in small groups in, 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 in sharing. Um, I myself, um, also advocate doing this in nature. Mm. Um, and that's again, exactly what we did at these folk high schools, uh, a hundred, a hundred years ago, mm. but this is fairly expensive and, and it doesn't scale that easily. Mm. And, uh, we should put resources into into that mm, yes uh, but also it would be very interesting to see if we could use technology mm. to really democratize personal development so that this is not just for for the few and with resources and and to reach not not just uh, hundreds or thousands of people but to reach tens of thousands hundreds of thousands or even millions mm. so that is why we a few years ago the e credit foundation uh, started an uh, initiative together with Norskjön Foundation in, in Stockholm. And Norskjön Foundation is a foundation dedicated to uh, using technology for uh, the common good. Mm. Uh, so we started an, an initiative called 29K. And 29K, that is 29,000. Mm. That's the number of days you, uh, you know, have in your life if you can live, if you the opportunity to live a a long life Uh, and our tagline there is to make them all matter yes Uh, and very simply what we are doing there is that we are taking the uh, techniques that has been used uh, in these personal development settings Mm. for for many many years some of them hundreds of years some perhaps even thousands of years because of course uh, uh, our uh, religions and, and philosophical traditions, mm. Buddhism, but also perhaps Stoicism mm-hmm. and, and and other tra- traditions have been focusing for thousands of years of the development of exactly these mm-hmm. uh, inner skills that we are talking about and and taking this uh, knowledge and to see if we can translate that into a digital environment. Oh, yeah. And um, especially glad um we, we became especially glad and, and perhaps also a little bit surprised to see that even these uh, authentic personal meetings uh, we could be a- we, we were able to replicate them mm. in a video conference setting so a, a, a very important part of 29k is the small sharing. Groups, authentic sharing groups, but video sharing mm. groups, where where we can where we see that we can reach the same level of authentic relating in a digital video environment as uh, you can actually do in, in a group in a live in a live setting. Mm. So twenty nine k is a non profit. It's an uh, open uh, source uh, uh, initiative. Mm. So anyone who wants to to try and explore, uh, just um, either go on the web to twenty nine website, or look at your your uh, app store oh, yes. and download the app twenty nine k on your uh, mobile and just. Start to try try, try it, it, out. it out. Try yes. it out. Yes.
1: And previously you spoke about in organization, this 50% that, that would gladly jump on and, and are excited to develop in this way. And the other 50 that would be maybe a bit stressed out or yeah, yeah. overwhelmed. R- yeah. R- roughly, I mean, roughly, roughly. Yeah. But, but the important conclusion
0: there is that it's not just a small minority that are overwhelmed by sort of the... Re- responsibility of yeah. of self-organizing and self-management
1: it's no. it's a substantial part and two things that i came to think about when you said that was one being facilitation as a solution so facilitating the space and and hosting the space and mm. creating that comfort mm. and another being personalization yeah. yeah so taking into account where you are in your journey and and preparing you for the right step or the next step in your journey uh, development.
0: That's a very good uh, comment. That's a very good comment because that there of course uh, we tie together the 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 need for personal inner growth yeah. and, and development but also for the uh, the development of a supportive corporate culture. Yes. So here we have the interaction again b- between culture and, and personal capacities and, oh, yeah. and growth so in these organizations it's of equal importance to support the the in the development of the inner capacities of the employees and also to create a supportive uh, corporate culture that can help to scaffold mm. these processes and hold these processes but is but that can also support the development of uh, the employees. And and some thinkers in this area are actually talking about the importance of c- uh, creating deliberately developmental
1: organizations. This is something that I'm learning more about right now. I'm fascinated to find a topic that is specifically what I've been speaking about over here, but that has a lot of research, additional research and insights around it. Some currently learning more about this. And Robert Keegan.
0: Yeah, Robert Keegan uh, is a developmental psychologist at Harvard University. And he has for many years researched this in a development journey Mm. and and has uh, developed theories around them. Uh, For example, confirming what we already knew in Scandinavia 150 years ago, that this uh, very important maturation step of going from being auto-directed and de- being dependent on having a boss or an authoritarian leader to rely on to become more self-authoring mm. of your, your, of your life and your work, self-leading self-authoring uh, th- that developmental step. He has pointed out uh, with modern developmental psychology that that is a very important step. Okay. And, and as society becomes more and more complex we we all need to develop this uh, self-managing or mm. self-authoring capacity. And he has also written uh, books uh, around this concept of a deliberately developmental organization, an organization that is both supporting uh, their employees in, in their ability to self-organize mm. and self-lead, but also creates a learning environment, a transformative learning environment to develop these mm. capacities. So uh, you would see the development of these capacities not as something that you are doing at a sp- in a different environment, mm. in a retreat or, or somewhere outside work. No, that That's is actually right. part of your work yes. to be on this developmental journey. And using the same language there, uh, the language of a deliberately developmental organization, I would even go so far to say that we in Scandinavia, uh, a hundred years ago, we had actually a, an explicit plan mm. to create a deliberately developmental society. Mm. Yes. And then we lost that uh, a, a little bit. So I think that that's what we need to to try to... F- Come back to and find again, perhaps with new tools, but we do not only need deliberately developmental organizations. We also need to realize that we need to develop a deliberately developmental society that supports everyone in this lifelong developmental journey.
1: The way I've come to think about it is uh, working with organizations gives you an opportunity to sort of get one hub at a time. Let's say you have a thousand people or 10,000 or 50 people working at this organization to implement this work uh, through this hub. Uh, So if we view the whole world as a, as a, a network, here you have a cluster that you can work and develop this. So I see the the effects it can have on a societal level yes. by working with organizations that yeah, are that, spread that, that, out. That's
0: wonderful. Uh, that, that, that's, that's wonderful because the, the, the beauty in all of this is that it's the same capacities.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, and again, um, one way of expressing those capacities are, are in, the, in the development codes, the IDGs. But these capacities, you could say, they are important for you as an individual. Mm if you as an individual should should be able to, to function in the workplace tomorrow, in 10 years, yes. you as an individual need to develop these skills and you should make sure that your children mm-hmm. are developing these skills to be able to function uh, in the society in, in, in 10 or,
1: or, or 20 years. There will be even more complex and yes, faster yeah, developing. Yes, okay.
0: So you need this on an individual level yes. and you can even... T- argue that in an instrumental mm. way. you need this to be able to get a work yeah. and to function mm. uh, to get a job. But then on the on the corporate level, it's the same thing. Mm. For the tech startup or the tech company in Stockholm to be able to be competitive yes. even in the short run the short term of two years, mm. you need to support the development of these capacities in your employees. And the employees, they need them to be able to find a new job <laughs> <So they> <laughs> <start> <laughs> later. <laughs> but then the beauty is, of course, that in society, when we are in this rapid transition and, and, and development mm-hmm. and in this turbulent t- time, reaching the bifurcation point and trying to facilitate a breakthrough in society, it is the same skills and That's abilities that, that we need to, um, to develop. So, on the individual level, on the organizational level, and on the societal level, these all point in 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 the same direction. Same needs. This the, the same need. Unfortunately, this need has been a blank spot for our Western civilization for yeah. the last at least fifty years. And but we, we, but we are starting now to rediscover this importance
1: and making it even more tangible. As yeah. you mentioned, pe- personal development might seem fluffy and up there, but the way you're working with the inner development goals and the way we're able to quantify this type of learning, I think this can bring it into the business metrics or the metrics or global metrics, let's say. Yeah.
0: And, and, and of course we should, we should remember that talking about this in, in the language of uh, the, in the development goals, that is a a reductionistic Mm. and and perhaps a little bit instrumental way of looking at this. So this is a little bit the old paradigm yes. way of doing it. It is much more complex. They are all inter- interrelated. Even our mind is a self-organizing process that can have emergent effects and so on. So we we shouldn't forget that this is more this is more complex, but this is a this is a good way to communicate it that that resonates with society and business.
1: Today, I love that you said that. So making it more applicable in the context we are are in today. Yeah, but we shouldn't forget the complexity. Complexity and (laughs) and try to find it as well and navigate in it as well uh, when you when you reach that stage. Yes. So, Thomas, I won't take uh, more of your time. Thank you very much for for spending time with us. I want to ask you one last question. What are you personally uh, interested in learning more about now in the time moving forward? What are Mm. you currently looking into, or maybe what's your next book?
0: Yeah, no, um, what I'm, what I mean, quite interested, very interested in, in right now is to look at the um, potential of uh, technology right now, Mm -hmm. the the potential of um, um, distributed ledger technology, blockchain technology, artificial intelligence, Web3. Yes. And of course, um, a lot of the technological development that we've seen during, during the last, say, ten years uh, have been um, producing challenges for our for our society. You mm. can look at the, the effect of of social media on democracy and, and things like that. Um, but I also see with technology, uh, the potential, to really help us as a society to uh, uh, have the break, breakthrough. Yes. So today the, the main um, institutions for facilitating change in society, they are the market and democracy. Mm. And I think it's quite clear that the present implementation of the market and the present implementation of democracy are, are not enough for the complexity of our world. Mm. The, the market is producing too much externalities and, and environmental pr- problems. Mm. And, and uh, uh, the present implementation of democracy combined with the social media and, and the media environment uh, at, at large uh, is not causing a, a, a good uh, democratic environment. So the question is, probably the implement the the way that we implemented the market and the way we implemented democracy a couple of hundred years ago, mm. that was probably the best way we could do it back then. Yes, we we had to in south of Sweden to elect our one represent or two representatives and then p- put him. It was back then mm. uh, in in a horse-drawn carriage and go <laughs> up to Stockholm to, to, to the parliament and, and make decisions on our behalf. When we so far have been trying to harvest collective uh, intelligence, mm. usually it, that has just resulted in the, the lowest common denominator. So when we bring a large crowd together, not a small crowd, but when we bring a large crowd together, usually the intelligence go down instead of going regression up. to the mean. Yeah, could we use technology, mm-hmm. smart technology, distributed ledger technology, to try to scaffold information gathering, democratic interaction processes that that perhaps together with artificial intelligence is actually supporting us to as as a large collective be more intelligent together instead of less intelligent together mm-hmm. C- could could distributed ledger technology and web 3 web 3 uh, enable new ways of uh, organizing both markets and uh, um, democracy and could that help in this emergent process i don't think we are there yet no. but the development is going so fast in these areas that we might be there in 5 or 10 years. So uh, I'm I, hopeful.
1: I'm hopeful. And I also believe in this future. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote a text quite recently that's going up called the social advantage. You mentioned social media and the effects. This is having both on the democracy and also on the, on the individual directly. Uh, so, and I don't know if you've seen it, but many people millions of people have seen the social dilemma. Absolutely. On Netflix. I, yes.
0: I, uh, I, I I love that, uh, it's
1: film. Yeah. Yes. Very important film.
0: Yeah. L- look at that. And if you're on Netflix yeah. and anyhow, don't spend too much time on Netflix, but do, do watch also don't look up. Yes. A- and, um, and if you look at those two together, yeah. that that's a good way of, of grasping a little bit where we are today. Don't Definitely. get too depressed. Um, I, I, I think that there is, uh, a way out of these out of these uh, dilemmas oh, but no. it won't happen automatically technology on autopilot is not taking us uh, in sad. the right way we we need to uh,
1: the act, right incentives. Yeah, we need
0: to think about this, and we need to act collectively. Yes. Here, we need a bit of collective intelligence and collective uh, steering yes. on where this technology is taking us.
1: And I love the point of of remaining optimistic. Yeah. So, my text, as I mentioned, is the social advantage yes. instead of dilemma. Taking the same technologies, the context we're in, and tweaking it with the right incentives, and of uh, course, that's an iterative process yeah. in itself. But we can end up. Yeah, on and the we other need side. some
0: of the, these inner skills. We 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 need to be able to do sense making in this complex world. And once we do done the sense making, we need to have courage to act, and then then perseverance to prevail.
1: Yes, that's a very uh, positive, optimistic, and and inspiring note to end this uh, podcast on. So thank you very much, Thomas, for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Learnability Podcast, which is produced by Align. It's our mission to create equitable learning opportunities for all. So if you find this episode helpful, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can download and try out the Align app at alignbetter.com. That's a line spelled A-L-I-N-E, better.com.